Hi, and welcome to Boos on the Loose. I'm your host, Emily, and today I'm going to recount my visit to Calo Vebera, Panama. This story is available on my blog, boostblog.com, along with all kinds of cool photos and links. We wanted a beach. What we found instead was a town steeped in a shadowy legend of an explorer gone mad. The backstory. Doing a search on Panama travel, the first recommendation that will likely pop up will be the San Blas Islands. It's everyone's dream setting of white sand and calm turquoise water teeming with coral reefs. Just like every other traveler seeing the ads, my boyfriend and I were instantly sold and ready to pay top dollar for a moment in paradise. The problem was the islands were still closed to COVID. I researched some other options, but most of the Caribbean coast of Panama is untouched jungle. Oh, well, I thought we can just head to the Pacific coast instead. That's what started our adventures in Santa Catalina and the area out there. And we forgot all about the Caribbean. You can read on my blog some of my adventures out by Santa Catalina. And there's also the first two episodes of this podcast that touch on some of the things that we did out there. Our adventure guide Milton, while we were hiking the El Salto waterfall, mentioned that we should visit El Caribe. I thought we couldn't get to the Caribbean coast from here, I said. He assured me that it was quite possible, despite the incorrect information flooding the internet. It's called Calovebora, he told me. The name was just complicated enough that I had to have him repeat it several times before he finally spelled it out for me. The road connecting Santa Fe to Calovebora was a massive undertaking known as the Atlantic Conquest. It was completed during 2020, and because of COVID travel restrictions, the newly completed road seems to have slid under the radar. Panamanians are slowly but surely hearing about this new destination, but the outside world is still oblivious. We had actually looked it up online, and there's still misinformation out there saying that you can't get to Calavebra without a horse or without four-wheel drive, um, but it's actually quite doable. There's a bus that goes out there. It's paved the whole way. Um, you can certainly rent a car or take a taxi out there. So anyway, we decided to check it out. I knew basically nothing about Calavebra, so I decided to be responsible and do a little bit of research. Wow, did I stumble upon some crazy stuff. Sit back and enjoy the story of Columbus and the Veraguas Coast. The history. It has somehow been hidden by history that Columbus began to go mad and was even, some would argue, possessed. By the time of his fourth and final voyage, he was using a mysterious set of symbols as a signature and compiling a book of prophecies. Among other things, the book stated that the earth had a predetermined lifespan of 7,000 years, that the Garden of Eden was on top of a tepui in Venezuela, and that his own bloody and brutal expedition to the New World was, quote, quote, simply the fulfillment of what Isaiah had prophesied. The Spanish crown was trying to distance itself from Columbus and had ordered the famed explorer not to return to Hispaniola due to native hostility. Hispaniola was um, Columbus's area that he had conquered. Um, I believe it was Puerto Rico and that area. But Columbus was driven by what he believed to be divine destiny and refused to take no for an answer. 
Just putting in my own two cents, based on that creepy signature of his, combined with what we now know about his brutality, perhaps his driving force might be better defined as demonic. And if you want to see that creepy signature, a quick Google search will get it for you, or I've also put a picture of it on the blog. On June 29th, Columbus shockingly showed up exactly where he was forbidden to go, Hispaniola. He threw a temper tantrum demanding entrance, but was turned away. Since plan A had failed, he rashly decided to sail southward through the Caribbean along the coast of what is now Honduras, Costa Rica, and Panama. By the time he arrived at the place of our focus, Veraguas, he was now down to only two ships of his original four, and they were essentially falling apart. I can only imagine how his crew must have felt, which, by the way, was comprised of an unusually high proportion of teenagers. It's worth pointing out that the explorers were still a little confused about their geography. They believed Cuba was the edge of China and that Central America was actually Singapore and Malaysia. The natives of Veraguas wore golden bird pendants, which attracted the attention of the European explorers. Columbus's gang of teenage hooligans set out on an expedi expedition of the region. They somehow survived and returned raving about giant mines of gold, apparently just sitting out of plain sight. As strange as the tales sound, they were correct in their assessment of Veraguas's mineral deposits. Columbus claimed the region for himself and intentionally omitted details from the information that he sent back to Spain. He attempted to pass on the unofficial land rights to his children, hoping no one would notice. It seems to have surprisingly flown under the radar for at least a few years until the mining operations flagged some attention. Columbus's grandson, Luis Coloni Toledo, endured a long lawsuit over the land with the crown of Castile. There is still mining in the region today, including gold, copper, and iron ore. Besides the mines, the Veraguas coast has mainly been inhabited by indigenous. It has remained tucked away in the jungle until now. My journey. Wait for the busito. I'd approached the third vehicle, which looked like it could pass for a busito, and was once again turned away. My boyfriend Ethan and I had been sitting in the town square all morning attempting to figure out how to get to Calovebra. Two hours after arriving in the town square, a short white bus finally pulled up that said Guabal on the front. Several people in the town square waved at me and called out, El Busito! Ethan and I approached the driver, who told us the bus wouldn't leave for another 30 minutes, so we could continue waiting on the bench. Unfortunately, during those 30 minutes, a crowd of people gathered who also wanted to take the Guabal bus. This crowd was much too large to fit into the tiny bus, and yet we all somehow managed to smush in. People were standing in the aisles, no one could see out the windows, kids were sitting on their parents' lap. It was really a shame because I'd actually been looking forward to this drive. The road goes through uh, the Santa Fe National Park um, on one side and on the other side is indigenous land. And it's just like an amazing cloud forest teeming with these magnificent rainforest creatures. If there was ever a scenic route I was looking forward to, it was this. The Busito crawled along at five miles per hour and stopped every couple of minutes in an attempt to squeeze in even more people. It was excruciating. I cursed myself for not having splurged on a taxi. 
Then finally we came to the town of Guabal and most of the passengers departed the bus. Actually, make that all of them. The bus driver also departed without saying a thing to us. It was clear that this was the end of the route. I hesitantly got off the bus and noticed that my backpack, which had earlier been placed in the undercarriage, was now carelessly lying in the middle of the road. The rest of our fellow passengers had walked across the street and were standing in front of two white vans. We picked up our packs and headed over there. A driver motioned everyone to get inside the van on the right. This was absurd. As it was, we hadn't fit into the busito. Now we were supposed to manage to fit inside an even smaller vehicle? I asked him if both vans were going to Calavebra. I was ignored and pushed inside the tiny van. That's when I got frustrated. I yelled at the drivers that there were two vans and not enough room in only one. I'm sure some of the people there thought that I was acting like an entitled princess. I usually try really hard not to be that type of annoying tourist, but actually this tantrum ended up working out in everyone's favor. The drivers agreed to take both vans, so everyone had more space, and they let me sit in the front seat. After that, the second half of the drive was much more comfortable. We put the windows down, and I got to see the mountainous rainforest with grass roofs popping up amidst the greenery. I even spotted some toucans from the window. The destination. Calo Vebra was a little disappointing. The town was shockingly small and barren. The beach was decent, but there were some boys torturing cows on one end and people burning trash on the other. And the water was unexpectedly murky. We had expected the kind of Caribbean water that you see in the pictures the placid, beautiful light turquoise, and that's not really what we got. We approached a couple of men about boat rides to a place we had heard about with cool caves. They immediately identified the cool caves as a place called Isla Escudo, and then the conversation took a strange turn. They asked if we wanted to boat there or horseback ride. We can ride horses to an island, I asked. It's very close, was their shifty reply. Close enough to walk, I asked. No, no, you have to take a boat, but it's too late today. You have to go tomorrow. I once again kicked myself for not taking a cab to get there earlier. If I'd known that we'd be waiting for the bus for two hours and then on the bus for two hours, I probably would have made a different type of plan for this day. Now back to Isla Escudo. This place is an enigma. Is it even an island? If not, why is it called Isla? It's been deleted off of some other famous travel blogs, and I think I may know the reason why. So later in the trip, we were at the Gamboa Nature Preserve outside Panama City, and we were told that Isla Escuro de Veraguas harbors the last remaining colony of pygmy sloths, an endangered species. So it's possible that if it's the same Isla Escudo containing the sloths, the locals are not really supposed to be going there because it's a protected area, but they'll do so if enough cash is on offer. Anyway, after finding out we couldn't get to the caves, there wasn't really anything to do but sit on the beach, which is what we did for the next four hours. Now, it sounds silly to complain about this, but we had just come from the Pacific coast where there were all kinds of fun sports to do on the beach. We'd spent time surfing, kayaking, snorkeling, you name it. So this was a little bit of downtime, which was fine. Um, but we did find out that once you're in Calo Vebora, 
it's sort of tough to leave. There are no taxis in the area, and the van only comes by a couple times a day. The van ride back was thankfully not as crowded. We arrived in Guabal and prepared to transfer to the busito that would take us back to Santa Fe, except that the busito wasn't there. The driver of the van apologized and said that the busito frequently leaves without waiting for the transfer passengers. There was no more public transportation for the rest of the day, but there was a truck driver headed for Santiago and he could probably give us a ride. So that's what we did. These were one of those moments where I felt like I was in the beginning of a horror movie, but the driver was luckily a very friendly guy. He even stopped at a scenic overlook so we could take a photo. Despite Calo Vebera not living up to expectations, I'm glad we went anyway. I probably would have regretted not going. I can imagine that years in the future, it'll be built up with seaside resorts, something like Cancun is now. And at that point, I can reminisce about the days when it was just a tiny village with unreliable transportation. Before I leave you, just some more historical tidbits. Columbus's fourth voyage ended in disaster with he and his crew becoming marooned in Jamaica. After that, Columbus lived his remaining years as a social outcast. Despite mounting evidence that he had not actually discovered a route to India, he stubbornly continued to argue that he had. He died shortly thereafter in disease-ridden squalor. The title Duke of Veragua continues today to be passed down along Christopher Columbus's descendants, despite the puzzling fact that Panama hasn't had any loyalties to Spain or the Columbus heirs for hundreds of years. Cristobal Colón de Carvajal currently holds not only this title, but also the equally pompous titles of Marquess of Jamaica and Admiral of the Ocean Sea. Needless to say, he does not control Veraguas, Jamaica, nor the entire ocean. He also had a recent legal battle over whether he and his descendants could continue to cash in on the profits of their ancestors' conquered lands. Insane. Columbus's ancestors actually believe they are entitled to get paid because Columbus began the worst genocide in the history of the known world. This blows my mind. For sources used in today's story, I encourage you to check out my website, boostblog.com. You can also write comments and interact with me or the other listeners, as well as see the pictures from my trip. Well, goodbye until next time. Thanks for listening.